Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Uh, today we've got on the other end of our Skype video, we've got Simone Vincenzi. Um, he is passionate about turning experts into authorities. He is the co-founder of GTEx. Um, he's a contributor to Forbes and the Huffington Post, a TEDx speaker. What do you not do? I love this. And a basketball player and musician. Welcome to the show, Simone. Thank you, Petra. It's a pleasure being here today. So you've given us a bit of a start in telling us what you're passionate about, but fill in the blanks a little bit for our listeners. Tell us a bit about who you are, what is it that you're passionate about, maybe your impact in the world at the moment. Yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, so as, as you said in the introduction, uh, I'm really passionate about uh, turning experts into authorities because uh, I remember when I started my business, it was very difficult to, to get started. It was very difficult to get clients. Uh, I, I was younger because I started my business at 22 and it was very difficult to get people to trust me. So I had really to work a lot on understanding how do I get people not just to buy from me, but in particular to trust me enough that they want to have a business relationship with me in, in the different ventures that I had. And that's what led me down the path of really understanding the power of positioning, uh, uh, of sales and marketing done in the right way. And uh, it helped me massively scaling, growing businesses um, for my clients uh, up to seven figures, my own one in the multiple six figures. Uh, and that's, uh, I became passionate about helping other people uh, doing the same because uh, I saw them, they were struggling like I was when I started and uh, I decided to pass on the baton, uh, as, uh, as, as we say. And so as, just, just to clarify, in your mind, what is the difference, just to clarify for me, between an expert? and someone who is an authority sort of voice or figure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I believe that there is a, a kind of a scale, a ladder uh, in the in the expert journey. Uh, you start uh, with a hobby, uh, which means it's something that you're interested in, sure. uh, but uh, you're not even thinking about monetizing it, or maybe the thought about monetizing it is far away. Yeah. Just spending your time reading, uh, listening to podcasts like this one, um, and then you switch the point where you're saying, "I actually want to make money with this stuff. I want this to be." my business because I'm so passionate about it and I'm so knowledgeable about it that uh, I want to, to spread the word and make money at the same time. So that's where you start uh, making a full-time living uh, from what you're doing, whether it, what you love, whether it's uh, on a, a employee basis, so whether it's someone else paying you or you have your own business, but you make money from your expertise, that's it. Uh, I believe you become an expert. And then you go to the next stage, which is the influencer level. And the influencer is where you not only earn money from what you're doing, but also you have uh, you have built a following of people around you that uh, no matter what you're going to create, they're going to buy, they're going to follow you, they love you, they're raving fans. Yeah. And that's a very sustainable level of business because uh, you at this stage, you will always have clients. Every time you put something out there, someone buys. And that becomes the influencer level. And then you have the authority level where you have uh, other influencers coming to you for advice. Ah, got it. And that's where you, you kind of reach the pinnacle when you are recognized as uh, the influencer of the influencers <laughs> in your field. That's when you're so, right at the top. Yeah. Exactly. So the work that I do with uh, with my clients is to help them uh, going through that ladder uh, and and getting the authority in, in in their field. 
Amazing. Love it so much. Um, so give us just a little bit of context. If you take us right back to growing up, your childhood, what was that like for you? Do you think your, your parents and maybe the education system kind of set you up for life in the real world? Well, um, yes and no. Let's put it this way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was uh, I was very fortunate. Uh, um, both my parents had a good job. Uh, n- I didn't miss anything when I was a, when I was a kid. Uh, we could go on holiday. I could okay. have the toys that I wanted. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it was a great childhood, and uh, I arrived to the point when I was fourteen years old uh, that unfortunately uh, I discovered that my father was an alcoholic. And uh, my mom did a great job to cover everything up, not to make me and my brother go through the pain of that situation. So she was uh, protecting us. uh, And from when I realized that it's been going on for more than six years. And at one point, one night, my mom had enough... uh, called the, um, uh, the the police officers and they came over the house and that's where uh, things started going downhill because fortunately my parents split up I think it was a blessing at the time because the situation could have gone in that way for us for my mom and uh, uh, my father went into a rehab clinic and from living a good lifestyle where, you know, we weren't really rich, but nothing... You were comfortable. Anything. We were comfortable, yeah. exactly. Then we ended up uh, really struggling financially because we only had... Uh, my mom was uh, raising me and my, and my little brother. Now, at the time, I was 14 and my brother was six. So we have a, an eight-year difference. And so I decided that I wanted to help my mom because I didn't like to see her struggling so much. And I decided to go and get a summer job. Yeah. Uh, and the first job that I could find was uh, as, as a waiter. Now, it's very stereotypical. Love as it. an Italian. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Go, you go work at a restaurant as a waiter. That's what we do. And I, but, I but you sort of had to step into being the man of the house or supporting in some way. I did. Uh, so on one side, I was fighting because uh, I, so I knew that I had the responsibility to be the man of the house. But uh, I wanted to escape that situation. So I was constantly fighting my mom. And so I, I was becoming a bit of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now, on one day, I was like the perfect kid in the world. And on the other day, I was uh, l- literally like put me in a PRU unit. Yeah. And uh, so it was uh, that what happened. That's how I reacted to, to that old situation. That was my way to to get rid of my pain or to express my pain in that moment, even though I, I, I wasn't feeling it. Like, in my, I was okay. I was fine in my mind. Because, because as a 14-year-old, you can't really articulate everything that's going on for you emotionally. You're still going to, through physical and emotional changes, and then that's the time when everything gets disrupted and, like, life as you knew it now has to completely change you've got to adapt so you wouldn't understand until sort of in hindsight probably what exactly was going on you're just like oh responsibility but I resent this I'm still a kid so you're kind of flipping between them exactly on the other side I say oh responsibility I want it I'm an adult so there was this uh, consistent fight between that and um, but I found my escape uh, in uh, in work I loved working uh, in restaurants so much that uh, I started dedicating my life, literally going to restaurants. And I remember one year later, I I went back to my mom and said, 
mom, I'm going to quit school. I'm going to work in restaurants. I'm going to be a waiter. <laughs> now, <laughs> how old were you at that point? I was 15 at 15. the time. Oh my goodness. Okay. So as you can imagine, my mom freaked out. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I said, no, you're going to school. No questions about it. So I kept going to school, but every evening and every weekend I was working because uh, I already found my path. I, I knew that it was the right thing for me. It was the thing that I absolutely loved. I never felt so passionate in my life, uh, apart from basketball, uh, about about the topic <laughs> that or, or, or a kind of work. Uh, I, I, I didn't enjoy really going to school, even though it was a great school and um, uh, that I was going to, but I didn't really enjoy it. And when I found actually the practical application, because right. I'm a person that learns by doing, yes. uh, and Instead I was of sitting getting, there being talked exactly, to, I, I'm yeah. the kind of restless kid, always at the back of the room making noise. So when I found a, a way that a, a job that got me to walk all the time, so I was moving all the time, yeah. and I was talking to people all the time, that was my dream job for me. Yeah, <laughs> so, and uh, I became, uh, I worked really hard. Of course. Uh, I so went you're still going to school. You're doing evenings and weekends, just like late hours, I imagine. Yeah. Sadly. And uh, I went to, uh, I, by the age of 19, I worked in more than 200 different restaurants, uh, to, to give an idea. Uh, a lot of them uh, were paid work. Other were free work that, because there were restaurants that, that I knew I wanted to learn from them. So I was going in one night and I say, hey, can I, can I work for you for free for, for a week and just to learn how you do things? And I was about 16 at the time. Wow. So some real ambition and almost put, kind yeah. of putting yourself on an, an apprentice path. Exactly. And uh, by the age of 19, I had I managed my first Michelin star restaurant. So I became the youngest Michelin star restaurant manager in Europe. Uh, I was earning a lot of money uh, yeah. for my age, but even for other ages, uh, yeah. I was earning anything from like 3000 to 5000 a month at the age of 19 uh, euros. Yeah. So I was living a good life. That is there. a good life. Yeah. <laughs> Really good life, man. I was. Uh, I started university. Uh, I started studying philosophy at university, but then I quit. It was. I did it just to make my mom happy. That's so opposite <laughs> from what you're describing. Makes you happy. It's all like stuck in your head, cerebral stuff. Exactly. I, I love. But on the other side, I love to think. Okay. I. The only subject. One of the few subjects that I loved at school was philosophy. Got it. So my mom said that you gotta get a degree. So when. I went out and I got a degree and and I went to university. But you know, I had a, I was there at 21 at the time, uh, yeah. 20 years old. I was earning a lot of money, so I was still working every evening and every weekend, and uh, or sometimes the afternoon. I was going to university in the morning at eight o'clock the class, and then I was playing poker up until five o'clock in the morning. So what for fun? Is that was that your leisure yeah, time? I was, okay, yeah, I was going with friends. We were playing poker, getting wasted up yeah, until yeah. five o'clock in the morning. So yeah. I had to give something up, and I decided to give up university. Now, because <laughs> po- of course the poker had to stay. Of yeah, course. that was you nineteen. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And so, as you can imagine, again, my mom wasn't impressed, but she she was seeing that uh, I was going somewhere in my career. And um, then when I was 21, I received a job offer to work in the UK. Um, so someone saw me at a restaurant in Italy and said, I want you to work in my restaurant. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, I, no, I, be, I became pretty good there. So I used to be poached by a lot of people. I never had to send a CV. People were seeing me because that's how restaurant owners 
they find a lot of their stuff. They will go to other restaurants and they will poach their waiters. See you in <laughs> action. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> that that's a kind of a, an insight in the industry. So it's kind of common. If you know, if you see a talent, you say, hey, I have a restaurant come and work for me. I can give you more money and better hours. Um, and so I was earning more money. They promised me more money and much better working hours. And I was like, you know what? I'm 21. And an opportunity to go to a different country. Exactly. And uh, I remember when I was 18, I went to, I went to an interrail uh, around the, and I did the in- England, Scotland and Ireland by train with a backpack with some friends. Oh, wow. And I fell in love with Scotland. And I had in my mind that one day I was going to move to Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. So when uh, that guy said, I have this restaurant in London, come and work for me. In my mind, I was saying, well, at least I'm getting closer to Edinburgh. <laughs> You're closer, yeah. <laughs> but then I loved London so much that I stayed in London. I didn't move to Edinburgh. But that's how I ended up being in the UK. And I couldn't, I could barely speak English. I, I, I could only ask things restaurant related. Like, what would you like to order? Yeah. <laughs> Do you need a fork? <laughs> Do you need a spoon? Yeah, let me give you a new glass. Like, <laughs> That's all you need, right? <laughs> That's all you need. Um, wow. So then you make this massive transition. The, the thought in the back of my head is, um, did you, what was your relationship like with your father after this point? Presumably he'd left rehab. Ha- had he stayed sober or, or did you, did something change in that regard? Yeah, the relationship with my dad uh, went, uh, it was literally up and down. So I think we uh, we didn't see each other or even talk to each other for about four years uh, at the time because I didn't want to see him. And you were probably uh, angry as a kid that he'd let you down in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, I started moving step forward. But then uh, it was getting, it was yo-yoing. So it was uh, sober for some period of time and then it was getting back to it. And so it was very difficult because I wanted to trust him when he said, no, I'm, I'm fine now. And just to discover that uh, it wasn't true. And I gave him a lot of opportunities uh, to, to, to change uh, in, in that way. And um, unfortunately, uh, he didn't. So I'm, uh, we don't have a good relationship now with my dad. But I did uh, everything I could to reestablish it. Like, you know, sometimes it, I, don't, I didn't want to feel I didn't give him a second chance or third chance or fourth chance. Um, but then you arrive to a point when you've got to say, okay, now enough is enough. What's that point, that though? Stuff. Why do, what, like, how do you know when enough is enough? Uh, in my opinion, I felt it. Uh, because I got scarred so many times yeah. that I said, uh, okay, you know what? I have enough right now. And uh, But when I had enough, it wasn't a, I'm angry at you enough. Right. Is uh, I did everything I could. Right. That's the path you chose to leave. I'm ending this relationship with uh, my heart in peace. Uh, of course, it still hurts talking about it. Of course. It's not, it's not easy. But uh, I have no resentment towards him. I, I worked a lot. I went to a lot of counseling uh, during my journey. That's how I got started into coaching, actually. Because I was taking counseling for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, my counselor was also a trained coach. So she was using uh, CBT counseling and uh, um, uh, and coaching uh, and also healing practices to help me out okay. uh, in the moment. So that's uh, th- that what happened with my dad. So I decided to say, no, you know what? Now enough is enough. Uh, 
I guess it's just go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and 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 never say never. Things right. can change. Right, things can change if we if we can prove that for a long period of time, uh, it can it can it sorted himself out. Then uh, I'll be more than happy to give him another chance. Love that. Um, I mean, addiction is a terrible thing. I'm I'm a recovering alcoholic myself, so I'm on the other end of the. I am the parent, and I have two children who sort of suffered through some of that in their early early years. Um, luckily, I was able to sort of get some support and and sort of stay stopped. But um, it sort of relates to any toxic relationship that we have or something that's draining us and sort of abusing us in some way where we want to give, we want to give, we want to help, we want to support. And then at some point we have to go, actually, I'm helping more even maybe by having a boundary and looking after my own resource. And we've got to trust that they're responsible for their own mental health, their own addictions that, you know, like we can't Mm -hmm. fix people, but it's such a hard, hard, hard kind of thing to learn when your heart, you know, you just want people to be better. Mm-hmm. And in particular, when they are so close to you, that's what I mean. I think yeah. that 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 a big that a big shift for me was uh, in terms of forgiving him was understanding that uh, addictions uh, are a mental a mental illness. Yes. And so when uh, I was able to see it in that light, and also I struggled with um, with eating addiction. So for me, it came out on on the other side. So I went through anorexia, bulimia, overeating. I went through I went to Overeaters Anonymous for a period of my life. Wow. Um, when I was twenty, was that twenty five? It was about yeah, five years, four or five years ago. And uh, it was uh, I understood. At that yeah. point, I understood how difficult it was for me, even with food. And the, the thing with food is that it doesn't affect your external state. Right? You, so you mean your it, behavior. It can your affect behavior. your weight, yeah, but no, not your, not, not your you, You're a sugar high because you've eaten like five cakes. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, uh, but you're not... Uh, you're not abusive to other not abusive people. And you, you are in control of what you're doing. Like uh, w- with alcohol or drugs, then uh, it, it takes away the control, that the filter yeah. that you're having interactions with other people. So if I understood like how difficult it was for me, Alcohol, I think alcohol and drugs is even more difficult than food to get rid of. Yeah, uh, but I guess you could understand the internal process of addiction, that you know logically that you don't want that extra cake or that extra whatever, and you know that it's having a bad uh, impact on your physical health, but yet you feel tired or you feel depressed or something's happened and you have a trigger pattern where you then just turn to the sugar or turn to the food and in or- like almost a self-soothing thing. Mm-hmm. So I guess you could understand... That internal like pain, it really is pain to be yeah. stuck in that cycle. Because you want to change, and you say to yourself, "This is the last one." Yes, you do, and you and, tell other and, people. Like in alcohol, you're just like, "Yeah, I'm never going to drink again, ever." And then, sure enough, 22 hours later, 12 hours later, you're like, "Oh, life's hard. I really should have that drink or eat that cake." Exactly. So uh, being able also to go through some sessions with them uh, to Alcoholic Anonymous and also going through the process myself uh, of the 12 step process, it, it got me definitely to have more empathy and be able to forgive him. On uh, That's a on big that step already to go to Al-Anon or the, the support group for, for AA. Just like that's, that is an active step in saying that you want to understand him or forgive him in some way. 
even if uh, maybe you're angry or not ready yet. I don't know. Well, a big, I need to thank a big, this industry where I'm in, the personal development industry, because, um, no, the main message is about taking responsibility of your own life. And also that if you don't forgive, you are the only one who's carrying the burden. And I took those two messages on board in my life because then at a certain point I was looking around myself and I was saying, well, I'm, I'm spending all this money in these courses but what am I actually doing? And of course, it's easier to apply those learnings in, in the situations where you can be more detached. And it's much more difficult than when family is involved because oh. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> brothers, sisters, uncles, dad, mom, I, all the things are, everything feels a hundred times more. Like there is the smallest thing is the biggest thing. Yeah. But then and there's said, more guilt, right? If you, don't, if you feel like you don't play your part. Yeah, go ahead. Then I said, well, I'm teaching those things to other people, but how am I applying this to my own life? And I'm a big believer of walking my talk. Um, I would never do something. I would never teach something that I haven't, I cannot prove or I've done myself or I can do it without other people, but in particular done it myself. Nobody tells so, you about that part of the journey, though. People are like, I'd love to be a coach. I like talking to people. Or I th- I'm a therapist as well. I'd love to be a therapist just to help other people, right? And the journey always is so internal. And so, like, I've got to look out for myself because I can't teach other people to do this if I'm just not forgiving and totally fucked up. It becomes like a lifelong personal journey, doesn't it? It is. And uh, uh, no one, I believe that also no one is perfect. So I'm not uh, looking to reach this level of enlightenment before mentioning this or teaching other people. But as long as I'm walking the path as well. Yes. And I can I can show that, hey, I can understand you because I'm walking the path with you. I know it's hard. Then you can have, I think, also with your clients, a much level, higher level of compassion and empathy to understand what they are going through just instead of saying, hey, what's your action for next week? So, <laughs> right. It's so surface and practical then and doesn't actually impact that core part that actually perpetuates the habits such as exactly. um, addictive behaviors. So we're covering so many things already as far as adversity and you building your own resilience and finding resources. Um, if, if you would think of sort of the, the, the top bit of adversity that you've faced or the challenge that you've faced within your life up until this point, what would you put it down to? Um, even the, the, the challenges that I faced. Yeah. So, so I guess um, I relate to the term like a, a rock bottom or a crash point. Right. And okay. You, right. Yeah. So have you yeah. ever experienced something like that? Yeah. Oh yeah, many times. Right. <laughs> <Me> <laughs> uh, I think that the bigger, the bigger, um, the bigger you dream, the, big, the bigger the game you play, the higher are the highs and the lower are the lows. That's true. Um, that's that's what I've experienced. Uh, so I guess I think that I have to say that the most difficult one for me, and I've been homeless for six months. I've been uh, in other situations, but the the biggest one was uh, um, the the food addictions. Mm. Because it was consuming my life. It was consuming my energy. All I could think about was food. And I remember I did some stuff that I wasn't like, if I think about that, how, what I did to the sandwich, like, <laughs> it just makes me feel ridiculous. But I'll tell you. The, yeah, this, give us this, an example. Sorry. What do you mean? Yeah, so there, there was a moment where uh, I was building my business. I didn't have much money. And... Uh, 
uh, I was going through this uh, roller coaster of food addiction. And I remember I was doing a project uh, at a, with a youth organization because I was working as a youth coach at the time uh, in different schools and organizations. And I was doing a project to help homeless people. Now, one of my role was to go and also collect food for homeless at Pret-a-Manger or other places. That was my role. So what I went, I was going in and I said, hey, can I can have this food for homeless people. And then I was going to, I was literally eating it. Oh. Right? Yeah. And now, if I'm looking at on a logical point perspective right now, it's like, Simone, what the fuck are you doing? Sure. Like, but even, it doesn't sound normal to anyone, but... And for a sandwich, I mean, <laughs> we're not talking about it's a freaking Gourmet, sandwich. Yeah. Uh, but when you are in that situation, there is almost someone, another person that takes over. Like I, there was nothing in my mind at that moment that was saying that was filtering. This is wrong, or there was not that moral compass in there, and it was just me, like. A, someone that possessed my mind and my body for a moment did the action and then when the action is finished or while you are off a way through the action then you realize but then you're like well i've started let me finish now and then and, what happens though what's the next bit of the cycle and then the next bit of the cycle is uh, beating yourself up so i was shame, beating myself right? yeah shame shame and guilt oh my god what did i do they really went into that shop and said can i have food for homeless people and then eat it myself yeah and and that makes things worse because then I would use again food to make myself feel better. Yeah, because then you go, I'm a bad person. I I don't deserve to be here, or like all that sort of shame and aggression towards yourself. And then it leads you right back to the thing that you know you felt shame about in the first place. Exactly, and that was a and that was a cycle that was incredibly uh, hard to break. Uh, and that was it, I think when I when I felt I hit the rock bottom because there was a. I'm a very I'm a very resourceful and persistent person. Like a lot of people say, um, I I know it by myself. I just know the kind of person that will give up or take no for an answer. But a lot of us addicts uh, are, to be fair, because once you put your energy away from the obsession of addiction, and you suddenly go, for fuck's sake, I've got so much resource and energy to focus on something good. It's like crazy. <laughs> exactly, and uh, so I. In in that moment, uh, I remember that uh, it was so. Uh, it was the only thing I couldn't sort out about my life. Like I was doing everything I could. I was doing NLP. I was doing healing. I was doing. Oh, so you were already in the thick of that sort of work and space, and okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So wow. that's a, and I think it is is even worse because then you are self aware. So I was self-aware of what I was doing. Yeah. yeah. So I knew what was the game that I was playing. Yeah. But you still couldn't, but I couldn't get out of it. stop it. And yeah. that was the, the most frustrating. Like I have all these courses, all this knowledge. I'm helping other people doing it. And first of all, I felt like a fraud because I couldn't do it for, for that for myself. And uh, I couldn't. I was aware of every single thing I was doing. But even though I was able to analyze it, I wasn't able to stop the behavior. But also you're analyzing it in your head. You're not maybe verbalizing it because you don't want anyone to know that that's actually the double life that you're leading. Exactly. And uh, the, the biggest, the turning point for me was when I started being open. So uh, Overeaters Anonymous helped me massively. Was that your and first it, step that you found that program or went there? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I was looking at, uh, you know, Google, how to stop overeating. And then there was all the resources from Overeaters Anonymous. Yeah. So I found uh, uh, some some places around and I went there. I didn't really know what to expect, but I said, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I'm desperate. I, I got I got to change this stuff. And uh, do you remember your very first meeting? Yeah, so awkward. <laughs> so freaking awkward. It's like, oh my God. What Did am you I try saying? and just yeah. like hide at the back? Did you talk? Uh, no, no, I talk. You I did. talk. I'm a, I, I don't have a problem. Like as you can see right now, I don't have a problem <laughs> at talking. Um, so I, I never had problem. Like, but this is I different though was, because of just the yeah, shame aspect. It was, but I felt safe in that moment. Yeah. I felt safe in that space. So like that's one, that you oh, finally I can finally I can say that. Oh my God, I'm not the only one. But was shocking. What was shocking now that I reflect back is that uh, if you if I was looking at the demographic, yeah, right, was the demographic? Only only women. Was it? Only, I was I was the only man. Wow. And uh, I think and and uh, and I went to different meetings and it was always the same thing. And I think that eating habits and eating issues are more socially accepted by women than right. by men. Like men would not even say that this is an issue. Well, asking for help is quite hard anyway, asking. but I guess for that there's quite a lot of shame as well. There, there is because then, uh, you know, you're, you're seeing in the media all the time, like the media made it uh, a women's issue, socially, if a women's issue, not a men's issue. So if you're a man with that issue, don't go out there because uh, it's yeah. a women's issue, right? So now wow. you're questioning your own identity as a man. Wow. As an Italian man. As, a, uh, as an <laughs> Italian man. So there was all these things that were going on. I was like, oh, my God. This is <laughs> fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Uh, and, uh, uh, but the moment where I, I was working with a coach at the time, and uh, and plus going to a religious animus, and then uh, the moment I think my coach said, you know what? Do you feel like eating? Go and eat. There's no problem. I was like, what? <laughs> it's like, no. You feel like eating something? Go and eat. Knock yourself out. I was like, what? Yeah. You should. Uh, you should tell me to stop. I was like, well, right. that's why. I said, no, no. You go and eat. Do whatever you want. And so the moment that uh, I was actually, if I wanted to binge, I went and binge, and I was enjoying the binge. Ah, so be present with the binge. <laughs> be present with the binge. It's like yeah. you want to binge, you, you better you enjoy better enjoy that it. food. Enjoy yeah. <laughs> and you know what? That was uh, the thing that got <laughs> things to stop. Because what? Uh, <laughs> we can't because, do that with alcohol, though. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a different. <laughs> Let's just be clear that, here. <laughs> absolutely, that's why they are completely different. I, that's why I said food is different in the. In the reaction, yeah, yeah. Internally, there's yeah. And I think that everyone has their own path of release. Absolutely, right? absolutely. So that's why I would say there is uh, for me what flicked the switch mm-hmm. was uh, just being saying that there was nothing wrong in that, and I could do that. I wasn't a bad person if I wasn't if I was doing that. So that eating, get over the eating judgment. Eating a cake, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. Right. And that was my association. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, yeah. I, I eat cakes, bad person. Yes. <laughs> I deserve to be punished. And then eventually, and, and you said bulimia and things like that. So that means you're punishing your body in quite significant ways as well before going mm-hmm. back to the eating the cake or whatever it might be. Exactly. And um, so the moment where I, sit, I was able to acknowledge 
just enjoy my binge. Yeah. Uh, instead of binging four times a week or five times a week, and then having the two days of starvation, yeah, uh, I would do binge then three times a week, and then it was going to twice a week, wow. and then it went twice a week, and then it went once every two weeks, and then once a month, and then once every five months. Yeah. And uh, I was like, and it just happened naturally. It just happened naturally. And so for me, it was not resist, not fight myself over that. And that's something that uh, I think that with every addiction, you kind of really ever get rid of it. You always have that trigger. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and, and for me, when I'm, when I'm too stressed or when I work too much, then it comes out. So I'm now able to have much more control over it because I know that I kind of see the signal before and say, yeah, ahead of time. So I can say, okay, let me relax and chill out. And then if I have a moment where I want to go and binge, and now it happens every once, every three, four months, I'm just going to enjoy my freaking binge. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and, and that was uh, what, what helped me out massively Without in this year. Punishment. Um, you also mentioned right at the beginning, the thing that saved you from some of the, the challenges that were going on at home was turning to work as sort of an addiction or a release, I think you said. And yeah. I wonder, because this, this resonates with me anyway, you, you let go of one addiction, um, but we can sort of become attached to other things that are probably more I, positive. I love working. I, love working. <laughs> I know. I love working so much as well. <laughs> I, my average working day is about 15 hours a day. And <laughs> but at least it's work that you love, right? I love every single minute. Well, no, okay. No, I'm that's not, not true. Do I love every single No, that's a lie. I love the majority of it. I love the outcome that I'm seeing. I love, uh, I'm, I'm incredibly competitive and I love to win. And uh, so if I set myself a challenge, I do everything I can to win that challenge, no matter how big it is. So is there a downside? Yeah, downside is uh, social life. So for example, <laughs> human connection, <laughs> human connection, right? Yeah. Because uh, for example, for about so my, one of my biggest passion ever has been basketball, right? Basketball. Oh my God. I, I can play five hours in a row without stop. And I can just, just be by myself on the court and really? shoot the same position and make the same shot for five hours. And I'm the happiest person in the world. Uh, so, and I stopped playing basketball for about eight years <gasps> because I was working. <gasps> And that sounds then, terrible. <laughs> for, but I didn't even realize it. It was no. just, okay, I cannot, I'm working in the evening. The trainings are in the evening. I'm working in the weekends. The games are at the weekends. I can't I do can't, everything. So, and then I decided to start my own business. <laughs> when, when, you know, if you're a workaholic already and then you start your own business, then there, there is are no, no boundaries. You can there just. There are no boundaries. Yeah. So I, I, I stop playing basketball and then I literally started playing basketball again one half years ago uh, and I was like why? why did I stop yeah what made what made you restart I guess uh, th- the business was going much better mm-hmm. so I had uh, I felt I didn't need to work that much which is again a bit messed up but uh, I felt I didn't need to work that much that I could take that hour or two uh, a day to go and play basketball and uh, right now I'm actually playing the fourth division in the national league uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, in a team in, uh, in Lewisham in South, in South East London okay. so I'm, I'm playing there I play at a competitive level professional level and it took me one and a half years of cons- consistent training to get back to the level of 
uh, where I was before. Actually, I think I'm even better now. And um, so that was the so the downside was giving up on other things that I absolutely loved and making only about work. And then the other downside uh, was, uh, in particular, talking about relationship. I didn't have any friendship outside the work environment. Right. So all people that I was connected with were just people that were in my space. And uh, I didn't even have a deep connection, a friendship connection, with just like a working connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that starts to impact you over time. Exactly. And uh, my wife, uh, when I got married, things changed. You have a wife? This, all, this happened? Oh, I see. That's when it changed. I get it. <laughs> so I got married uh, well, I got married last year. Okay. And, Congratulations. Uh, but We've been together now for four years. Actually, yesterday night we celebrated our four-year dating anniversary. Very nice. <laughs> and um, she loves. She's completely opposite of me. <laughs> completely opposite. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, she likes to chill. Yeah. She, she, she works. She's very ambitious, but she's not. But she's done. Uh, she's she's done. Her, her life, her work-life balance is important, and she loves to go on holidays. Mm. And I was like, holidays? What are holidays? What's the holidays? holidays? <laughs> What's, really? Do I need? Oh my god! And now I'm enjoying going on holiday and traveling and just taking the time of. You know, there might be some days where I work 15 hours, but there are days where I do nothing at all. Yeah, or uh, the choice. We go on a holiday and we stay away for two weeks, and I'm not even opening my laptop, and I don't have any, any internet connection, and it's. This is revolutionary. And it's like, oh my God, there is just, there is a whole world out there. No way. <laughs> what does it do for your, your, your brain or your mindset when you come back or even in those moments? Oh, it's, it's a blessing. Because uh, my, my mind will always think about what can I do, what can I, I can't do for my business. Sure. But uh, it would just give me that space to then come back and uh, push it again. Instead of driving, because uh, I was going through the like work yourself to the ground, then be sick for a couple of days, and then burn come out. back. Yeah, yeah. And then burn oh, out. so then you're forced to stop because your body is just making you stop. So now I haven't been burning out for a few months, which I think is an achievement uh, well for done. me. Yes, <laughs> it's a, yes I yeah. go for it. <laughs> I had a two weeks cruise in the Caribbean for our wedding anniversary. It was it was amazing. And amazing. <laughs> We decided we didn't even got the internet package, so we didn't have even internet access. And uh, and she she forces me. That's what she does. She forces me to take time off because that's how she does it. She says, "I'm going to New York. Would you like to come?" <laughs> she doesn't wait. She's just like, "I'm planning this." Yeah. If I have to wait for you, we never go anywhere. I'm going. Do you want me to book one ticket? Or do you want to join me? Yeah. I'm like, no, you, you are too hot to go by yourself. So <laughs> I can't wait. I must come, obviously. Um, so what advice would you give to somebody who might be in their rock bottom point at the moment, whatever that might be for them, whether it's, it's grief, addiction, uh, whatever it might be, um, trauma, we, we hear about those quite a bit. Um, what, what advice would you give to that person who's isolating and in the shame hole about taking those first few steps for moving themselves forward? Uh, I think that's probably the advice that a lot of people give, which is seek help. Talk to someone. Uh, talk to someone. Talk to someone who knows what they're doing, not just talk to someone. Okay. Like seek uh, experts' help. So go to a counselor, cognitive behavioral therapist, uh, a group, a support group, something. Group, whatever, 
whatever is like do the best you can to seek actively for support because if you don't seek for support or you're pushing away or the support that other people are going to give you one day or the other then they're going to get tired of saying hey i can help you and then you would just see them disappear in your life um and I bet yeah. people who are at their rock bottom have are, have seen already that people have disappeared from their life or that they've made choices to isolate themselves because they don't want people to see them in that situation. So, And I think there are different kind of rock bottoms. Um, so, for example, if you have a rock bottom for an addiction or mental illness or something, yes, seek help. Yeah. Go out there. Yeah. If you are okay and you don't struggle with this kind of issues, but maybe you're just like a, an entrepreneur and you're not earning enough money and y- you become homeless like I did just because I was stubborn and not to go. I didn't want to go back to a job and I just said, no, I'm going to make it on my own. Yeah. That's how, wow. that's what made me homeless. Literally, I could go and get a job at any time. Like I, if any time I can walk into a restaurant, I get a job. Of course. <laughs> and But I made myself homeless because I was stubborn that I was going to make it by myself and I slept uh, and, and you know it was it was also an interesting experience because I would say I enjoyed it but that's another inter- <laughs> that's <laughs> but, not but it's also but, in hindsight you can see how it was good that you stuck it out and didn't go for that sort of escape route and get the job in the restaurant uh, it, it wasn't but I think it was if I have to go back it was very stupid why do I have to make my life so difficult yeah right that's that's the question like that I had why do I have to make my life so who do I have to prove what am I proving to who? Well, yeah. Who am I proving to who and what am I proving? Right? And I think that was uh, my thing that I had to prove to myself that no matter what, I could make it on my own. And I had to prove to myself that I neither need anyone else's help. And I had to prove to myself that uh, I was strong enough. And I had to prove to myself that I couldn't make it without even going back to a job. And it was all these things that I had to prove to myself. And Why do you moment, think that was, though? I'm always curious about why some people have that level of drive. It, it might be because uh, of a uh, um, situation that happened at school that I mean, people were saying that, you know, I, my teacher was saying I was not going to account too much uh, uh, if I kept going that way. They were saying, you are really smart, but if you keep going this way, you're not going to make anything out of your life. And you're like, I'll show them. And I'll show them. Or, or you know, it, it, the other one was just an escape from what happened with my parents. Uh, that had to prove to myself that I needed, I didn't need them. Yeah. And because I didn't need them, then I don't need my parents. I can make it on my own. I'm 14. Then it kept the story kept repeating. Yeah. In my late 20s, and in if I'm looking at the the journey, I was very lucky because uh, you know I realized those things in my early 20s. I mean, I'm I'm 30 right now. But it feels, uh, I'm still 29, actually. Uh, 30, <laughs> oh, such a baby, yeah. <laughs> and, but it felt, I've lived such an intense life. Uh, literally, I've, I don't know many people who live that life at such a level of intensity. I, I change my personality and who I am about 10 times. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, five months could feel like I would do in five months what many people would do in five years. And and now I look back at it and it's like, okay, it's insane, but that's how I am. I'm just do you, a, do you think you needed the adversity in your life in order to become the man that you are today? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think uh, adversity create build characters. 
And do, uh, do, you, do you have kids? Uh, not yet. And when, not. let's just imagine for a minute when you have a child, assuming that's the path you go down, let's just go there. I've got two. Yeah, I want to. You do, okay. So when you have a kid, will you almost hope and want them to experience some kind of adversity in their life in order to build their character? Yeah, I do. When the flip side is that you want to protect them from everything that ever happened to you yeah. so that so they don't I live think, the same okay, life. So let, let's, put it, let's put it this way. I will feel terrible probably yes. in that moment <laughs> yes. when it happens. It's hard. Uh, it will be hard. And at the moment, because I don't have kids, so it's just uh, it's hypothesis. Everything, yes, hypothetical. Everything is hypothetical here. Yeah. But I'm, I'm definitely not going to make it easy for them. Yeah. Because uh, I have seen the people that... Uh, have had to work or had to build their character. And I'm not talking about the dead. It doesn't have to go to a lot of struggle. Yeah. I, I wouldn't actually wish that, like the soup, the, the addiction and this yeah, and yeah. that. I wouldn't wish that for them. Yeah. But if, uh, you know, there are some parents that have reached a certain level of success and then they do their best they can to support their children, to make everything easy for them, to open all the doors for them, to, and, and I would not want to be that kind of parent, even if uh, I could. Mm. Like, money is not an issue. Money yeah. is not an issue. Connections. I got plenty of connections right now. But I would still want them to grow. So, for example, I, I mean, I got I got a brother, which is now is 22. I was wondering how he turned out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he actually, he was the one who suffered the most, the most right. from all the situation. Because he was um, still there and, yeah. He was still there. He was six years old when it all happened. So he, he had some very tough times. And uh, uh, and he, he has a very completely different personality. You know, I'm the exuberant one. I'm the one who just like, you know, get out there and conquer the world. And he's he like, I'm cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm chill. <laughs> quiet. I'm chilled. I'm in my place. As long as I have my job, I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> so Isn't it funny, though, that you can have similar catalysts as far as the addiction or whatever is in your house, the chaos, and due to nature and nurture, personality, as well as drive or whatever experience, you can completely have different paths in life. Yeah, we have we are two completely different people. In fact, he says, "I don't why." It's funny, he always says that I don't want to talk to you because you just don't get me. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I like, probably feel the same way. I'm like, not that you don't like, want to talk to him, but, but like, oh, we just speak different languages. So I'm like, I want to change jobs. Send a freaking CV. You want to change jobs? Send a CV. <laughs> right. Oh no, I need to think about this, and then I need to think about that. And, <laughs> then this doesn't line up, and then it's like, oh, fuck, just send a CV. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Why am I talking to you? Yeah. <laughs> and I always felt like a kind of father for him after that happened and uh, now i actually he's, he's living in the uk as well because uh, in italy the economical situation for young people no that's ridiculous oh God, it's hard it's yeah. ridiculous yeah uh, in fact there are a lot of young people that uh, i mean the average person even my friends as well they still live with their parents the majority of them that's because uh, you have to because you have to. You don't have a, a high-paying job. They just get you on temp contracts of, you know, you work 40 hours a week, you earn 300 euros a month. And that's the kind of, so unless you are already, you have a, a degree that can open a lot of doors at a managerial level, then th there are always opportunities, but it's much more difficult than here in the UK. Let's put it this way. Mm. And um, so 
I got my brother to come here. I said, "Okay, anyway, you learn you know you learn English. It will open doors in the future. Whatever you do." Yeah. And uh, so he's is uh, now building his character. But he says to me, "Well, you have a lot of money. Why don't you give me some money?" Oh. I'm like no. Like oh. if I if I if you know sometime if if I lend him some money. I put a sign and I said, no, you got to give me this money back on this date. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I keep a track of, of everything because it doesn't have to, because I've worked hard for that and uh, I want him to value. Yeah. The same. Now, yeah. of course, if you're going holiday, I'm going to pay more than him and so on and so on. But it, it gets very annoyed. Of course, because he just thinks in the immediate that it would be easier and uh, it's simple for that to happen, but actually you're thinking of the big picture. I'm thinking of the big picture. Uh, I mean, the, the easiest solution is, hey, you cannot pay your bills, I don't know, here's the money. Um, that's the easiest solution. Yeah. But the solution that is going to make him a better person is uh, the solution that is going to make him think about, okay, how, what can I do legally? To get that money or to make that money or what kind of negotiation. And if he needs any help, I will always give him what you he needs. But what you're, some, not, sorry, when you're backed into a corner, that's when you find your resourcefulness, right? Exactly. So I'll probably be like this also with the... <laughs> with your own child. You've had a bit of practice. Um, Simona, yeah. we're, we're past our time. I feel like we could go on forever. So thank you so much for being so open and for your advice and guidance. Um, if anyone wants to connect with you uh, sort of online, social media, where can they find you? Yeah, thank you. Uh, you can find me in two places. Uh, one is my website, which is uh, www dot gtex g-t-e-x dot org dot uk and the other one is my podcast uh, which is uh, called explode your expert biz show so explode your expert biz show you can find it on any podcasting platform lovely amazing we'll add all that into the show notes as well um, until we put this out there thank you so much for your time uh, thank you very much it's been a great interview